But turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica. We began just several weeks ago with a brief introduction. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He was in Corinth, and he got some information, so he wrote to this church, to the church that he had founded earlier. He wrote to encourage them because they're going through some trials, persecution, and but he, he not only calls, uh, uh, writes to say, I'm so proud of you, but he reminded them about what was going on. There were some truths. There were some things he needed to correct because some people were teaching some wrong things. He wanted them to know how much he loved them and how much they loved one another. And so when we think about that, we want to think about us as well, that we want to be known because they were known as a church that loved one another. We want to be the same way. You know, the religious leaders, they, uh, they always wanted to trick Jesus. That's what they tried. Of course, they never could. They, they wanted to challenge him, hoping him that he would say something wrong, and then they could get him. They, they thought they could use that against him. One time they came to Jesus, and they asked him, and they said this. And you've heard me teach this before, but this is what they did. They said, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Now, there were 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. Which one would be number one? They thought they had him because they said, no matter what he said, if he said this one's the best one, they'd say, well, what about this one? They thought they could trick him. Uh, I don't know if they realize it, but Jesus is the one who wrote the commandments, right? I mean, think about it. He said this. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And before they could say anything else, he said, and the second is equal to that, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he basically said this, that all these commandments hang on these two, love God and love others. And we think about our lives, we realize the same thing is true. Jesus told his disciples, he said, you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples, that we belong to him by our love one for another. So love is the key. So here's a question for us. Are you and I known for our love? By the way that we treat each other. Do we let love cover a multitude of sin? How do we treat one another? As Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he commends them for their love for each other. Look at verse 3, chapter 1. Look what he says. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. He said the love for each other grows greater and greater. We want to be known as a church that loves one another and that then reaches out in this community. So it's going to be a challenge as we study this. Well, let's begin. Let's think about where we are. If you remember that Paul, on his second missionary journey, his first missionary journey, he went what was back over here. We don't see this on the map, but it was what we call modern-day Turkey, and he went to the region called Galatia region. On his second missionary journey, he took off, went through those same places, and stopped at a place called Troas. He got a dream. He got a vision from God. A man of Macedonia, that's northern Greece, was basically saying, please come over here and give us the message. So Paul and Paul and his companions left. They went, they landed, they ended up going to a city called Philippi. We get Philippians from it because that's the church he founded at Philippi. And uh, then uh, he was basically run out of town and he went to Thessalonica. He was there for not a very long time. In fact, we know that he was there at least three uh, Sabbath days, three, three Saturday days as he was there teaching them. And then they ran him out of town and he went to Berea and then he left Berea and went to Athens and he went to Athens and he went to Corinth. Uh, and Athens is where he had that big message about the unknown God and all those kind of things. Well, he goes to Corinth and he actually stays in Corinth for a year and a half. 
And while he's in Corinth, he gets word from the people in Thessalonica that there's some issues going on. And so he gets that message and he writes them. And what he writes them is what we call First Thessalonians. Then he gets more information, and when he gets more information, he writes what we call Second Thessalonians. So it was a second letter to them. Now, let me tell you what's going on. Here's what he finds. He finds that there's still great persecution. Think about this. You know, in America, we don't have the kind of persecution they had. There were people killed in Thessalonica. There were people. I mean, they, they tried to kill Paul, remember, in Philippi. They tried to kill Paul in a place called Lystra. I mean, they were always trying to do these things. And so there were believers in Thessalonica that were being persecuted for their faith. Second is there was false teaching on the day of the Lord. Let me just tell you what it was. We all know, what's the next event that's going to happen in the history of the world? What's going to happen? The rapture. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. We're going to be taken off the face of the earth and we'll be gone. Paul taught them that. But after he left, some people came in there and told them that the rapture had already happened and they were left behind and they were in what is known as the day of the Lord or the tribulation. And so he found that out. So he's going to write because that's false teaching. The rapture had not happened. In fact, it still hadn't happened, right? We're still waiting for Jesus to come in the clouds. The third thing is that the, there were some believers causing problems in the church. We're going to talk more about it as we get there. But there were some people who were, as Paul calls them, busybodies that were causing issues within their local church. So when he writes this letter, now look at the three things. Persecution, false teaching, believers calling problems. When you break the letter down, chapter 1 deals with encouragement and persecution. Chapter 2 deals with the teaching about the end times, that false teaching about the day of the Lord. And the third chapter deals with instructions on how to deal with problem people. So Paul deals with all three of the issues, and we're going to see them in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Well, let's begin. We're in chapter, the first part here, chapter 1, 1 through 5, and we're going to see the introduction, which is verses 1 and 2. We actually got verse 1 when we started the book uh, two weeks ago, but we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to see verses 3, 4, and 5. I put down encouragement, faith, and love. There's even more there. There's persecution and there's rewards, and we're going to talk about it when we get to it. So let's start with the introduction and look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Silvanus, that's the same person as Silas, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the introduction. You know, when we write a letter, we talked about it last time. If I wrote a letter, I'd write, Dear Joe, great to see you. Love, JB. In that day and time, the person who was writing the letter said, Paul to the Thessalonians. And that's how they did it. So the person writing the letter puts their names first. And so Paul is Paul, Salvanus, which is the same as Silas, and Timothy. Now, Paul's the one doing the writing. He's the apostle. But he puts these other two people with him because they had traveled with Paul when he went to the city of Thessalonica. So they know who these guys are. So Paul's an apostle. Remember, an apostle was very special. An apostle had the authority of Jesus Christ. They were set apart. They were called apostles of Christ. Paul calls himself that in some other letters. He doesn't call it in this. But an apostle was one sent forth with authority. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they, uh, he says that the church. And a lot of times people are confused because people will come up to you and say, where's your church? And what they're actually meaning is where is the building that your church meets in? Because the building's not the church. 
The church are the called out ones. The Greek word church is ekklesia. Ek means out of. Kaleo means to call. So ekklesia means the called out ones. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, God calls us out of a fallen world and places us in Christ, which is his body, which is the church. So we're unique and special. And notice what he says to the church of the Thessalonians. The building, the building is not the church. We are the church. We are the new people in Christ. Now notice what he goes on to say to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're connected with the Father and the Son. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We've been placed in Christ. So every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in the Father and in the Son, he could be writing the same thing to us. He'd say to the church of Stillwater Bible, in, in Stillwater, to those who are in Christ. That's us. And so with that in mind, he gives what we call the standard greeting. And oftentimes when you see the standard greeting, you just go fast. Like verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes when you read that, we just think he's saying grace and peace, like have a good time. But that's not really what he's saying. There's even more to it because grace and peace are so often overlooked. And, and, and look, look at it, what he says. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, grace is this. Grace is unmerited favor. You, you should never get over grace. You should never get over it. Oftentimes we do realize that unmerited favor is that God gives us something we do not deserve. We, do, we get the grace of God. God so loved us. He sent his son. Jesus died for us. All the grace of God. By grace we have been saved through faith. By grace we live the Christian life. Grace is often misunderstood. We do not deserve salvation. We don't deserve anything. It's the grace of God that you're alive right now. We don't deserve to live. God in his grace allows us to live another day. That's how great he is. We do not earn salvation. We're given eternal life as a gift. That's why I love Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So when he writes grace to you, we ought to be going, yes, thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you that it's the grace of God we're saved. It's the grace of God we get to live. It's the grace of God one day he's going to come get us and we're going to be with him forever. So he's grace to you. And then he says peace. Now he puts this peace in here because it says peace from God. Peace from God. There are two kinds of peace in the Bible. There's peace with God and peace from God. Peace, from, peace with God comes when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. See, before we trusted Christ... We're enemies of God. I know that sounds funny. God's not our enemy. We're enemies of God. God's looking for us. He loves us. We didn't love him. In fact, the Bible says, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfactory payment for our sins. We all, like sheep, had gone astray each one our own way. We're all running away, and God in his great love and grace and mercy reaches out to us. And when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, this didn't say peace with God. This said peace from God. Peace with God comes when we come back into a relationship with him forever. That means we're saved. Peace from God is in our Christian lives. As we live day in and day out in a fallen world, and especially think about the Thessalonians, here they are Christians, and they're being persecuted every day. And so we need peace. We need the peace of God. 
the peace of God that comes by God and his word. In John chapter 16, verse 33, said Jesus said, In this world you'll have great tribulation. However, in Jesus Christ we have peace. The Thessalonians were in great persecution. They were going through tribulation. They needed peace. How do we get peace? Look at this. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Not peace with God. This is the peace from God. This is the peace of God. This is the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. That's where we get it. And the peace of God which passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing and he says, you need the grace of God and you need the peace of God. And we need it. And we need it in our lives every day. And so sometimes when you read a letter and you go to verse 2 and you just skip over and say grace and peace, but thank God for the grace. And thank God that he gives us his peace. Now, from there, there's the encouragement part, which is verses 3, 4, and 5. I talk about faith and love. Let's look at it because there's some great things in there. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. He says, we ought to give thanks to God for you. He says, I'm thankful to God for the church at Thessalonians. At the Thessalon- you know, in Thessalonica. He's thankful to them. He's always thankful to God. You remember what he writes to the Philippians? Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Listen, are you thankful for the fellow believers? Let me just say something to you. When I look out at this group of people, I am so thankful to God for every one of you. The way God has used you in my life, how he uses you in each other's lives. Are you thankful for the fellow believers in this body? God has allowed us to meet together. He's allowed us to have a building. He's allowed us to have people sing songs and that we can praise God. He's allowed us to meet anytime we want to. We ought to be thankful to God for each other. And that's what he says. We ought to give thanks to God for you, brethren. Because why? Because your faith is enlarged and your love is is growing. Are we thankful to God for each other? If you want God to do something great in our church, it begins by us loving one another. Whenever there's division, whenever there's problems, whenever there's disputes, whenever there's division within the body, God's not going to use that because that's the conflict. And what God says, as I have loved you, You love each other. And this is the key to the whole thing. So he says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brother. Why? Because your faith is greatly enlarged and your love for one another toward one another is growing even greater. So here's two things that he said that he's thankful to God for, for them. Their faith and their love. Their faith grows and their love increases. Think about that. Let's start with faith because he says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. Let's talk about faith. It says greatly enlarged. That word literally means abundant. It says they got abundant faith. It's like a plant. It was like you plant something and it starts off little and then before you know it, it's getting bigger and you go, oh my gracious, it's getting bigger and bigger. And that's what he's saying. He says, your faith is getting bigger. Now, you could say, wait a minute. How does faith grow? How does faith grow? Well, I want you to understand something. Faith always has an object. There's always an object to your faith. Faith grows as the object grows. You know what the object to our faith is? For us as believers, the object of our faith is the Word of God. 
as we know more and more of the Bible, as we trust more and more of the truths of the Bible, as believers, as we grow in knowing the Scripture, our faith increases. So here's a great truth. If you want your faith to grow, you're going to have to know more and more of the Bible so that you can apply it, that you can believe it, that you can say, this is true here, and this is true here, and this is true here, and I'm trusting that, and your faith will grow. The more we know of the Word of God, the more we know of the character of God, the more we can trust Him, and the more our faith grows. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to dig the Bible. We're going to have to understand the Scripture. We're going to have to make application in our lives because as we know it, we can make application. It's hard to apply something you don't know. Your faith will not grow. Faith always has an object. There's no such thing as a leap of faith. Faith always has an object. For salvation, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ who gives to us eternal life. The object of our faith in the Christian life is the Word of God, that we would know it and apply it. So he says to them, we ought to give thanks to you because your faith is greatly enlarged. If you want your faith to grow, you're going to have to know more and more of the Scripture so you can apply more and more of the Scripture. But there's a second thing. And the love of each one you, you have toward one another grows even greater. Their love was increasing. Their love was increasing. It was overflowing. The word there is abounding. They were loving one another just like 1 Corinthians 13 talked about. And by the way, you've got to understand something. Love is an action. We show love by what we do. If we want to show love to the people in this room, if you said to yourself a while ago, okay, JB said that we're supposed to love one another, and that's going to be the characteristic, that's the characteristic of the Thessalonian church is they loved one another. So how do we show love for one another? It's not just saying, I love you. It's by our actions. Love is not a feeling. Love has feelings with it, but love is not a feeling. Love is an action. God so loved the world he gave. It's an action. So if we're going to love one another, it's an action. We show love by what we do. We've already seen that we're to love God and love others. And what can you and I do for each other that will show that we love each other? What can we do? How can we show love to each other? Jesus said, they'll know you belong to me. They know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Paul says, I give thanks to God for these believers because their faith keeps growing and their love keeps growing. So the question for us, is our faith growing? Are we taking uh, God's word and knowing it and applying it and trusting God? Is our faith growing? And second, is our love growing? Are we reaching out, loving one another, meeting needs, investing lives? You know, one of the great things that our church does is that each one of our grow groups has, has a project. Has at least one project every semester, but some of them have projects every month. And that is to reach out in this community and reach out to people who have needs. And that's a way of showing love. And people will say, wow, they, they love us. Is our love growing as we're reaching out, loving one another, meeting needs? That's our goal. Now watch. Paul says, you know, I really ought to give thanks to God for you because you, your, your faith is growing and your love is growing. And then he says this. Look at verse 4. Therefore, because your faith is growing, your love is growing, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Paul says, when we think about it, we tell other churches how good you are, how you're faithful, and how you hang in there in the midst of persecution. Paul said he tells other churches about this church. Wouldn't it be good if other churches said, hey, let me tell you about this church that's in Stillwater. 
Man, they, they know the Bible. They're living it out. They're touching lives. They're showing love. They love one another. This is what they're known for. Paul says, we tell other churches about you. That's what he's telling the Thessalonians. Therefore, we speak proudly of you among the churches of God. And then he goes on and says, why? Because of your perseverance and faith in the midst of your persecutions and afflictions. By the way, there are a lot of hard words there. Perseverance, faith, persecution, afflictions, endure. Paul was so proud of this local church. He didn't get to be there very long. This is his second letter he's written to them. They're standing strong in persecution. You know, when I coasted Mississippi State, we had a sign, a little sign. It said, keep on keeping on. We had it all over. That was kind of our little theme, keep on keeping on. That's what he's saying here because that's what perseverance is. Perseverance means to hang in there. It means to be patient. It means to keep on keeping on. The Greek word means to remain under the load. It's like somebody gives a bunch of stuff, and they say, will you hold this for a while? And you go, yeah, I'll hold it. Then after a while, you're going, I'm getting really tired of holding this. I don't know how much longer I can hold it. To persevere means I'm just going to keep on holding it. He's saying you're just going to keep on keeping on. Sometimes when the trials come, believers quit. We didn't say anything about whether... This has nothing to do with losing your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. When you trust Jesus, you have eternal life and you're saved forever. But sometimes believers quit. Sometimes they're growing and then something goes wrong in their life or some hard thing goes wrong in their life and they just quit. This church didn't stop. In fact, when he says your perseverance and faith, the word faith there actually is faithfulness. Their faithfulness in the midst of persecutions and afflictions. Now, those are not good words, persecution and affliction. Persecution is, is to go after systematically. Persecution was that somebody was hurting them on purpose. You know, occasionally something will happen to us and somebody didn't mean to do it. They go, oh, I'm so sorry. That was an accident. But sometimes people try to hurt you on purpose. And there were people trying to hurt these believers on purpose in Thessalonica. Unbelievers were trying to harm them. They, notice afflictions which you endure. They were trying on purpose to hurt them. We live in a fallen world. People may try to hurt you. Sometimes people try to hurt us on purpose. You know, today, I just noticed that it's fair game for Christians. You, 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 you can't say anything publicly about anybody except Christians. And you can make fun of Christians. You can say anything you want to about Christians. Now, other religions, you can't. Other people you can, other groups you can't, but Christians you can make fun of them anywhere. People do it all the time, and there's no repercussion. And it's not going to change. In fact, it's going to get worse. Because Paul already said, and Peter said, that in the last days, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And the love of people will grow cold. We're living in a fallen world, and it's not going to get better. If we think we're going to turn this around... Now, listen, we're going to touch as many lives as we can. We're going to try to see as many people come to know Christ as Savior. We're going to try to touch lives forever. But this fallen world is not going to get better. And the persecution is only going to increase, not decrease. There are places in the world that when you stand for Jesus Christ right now, they will kill you. I told you two weeks ago that the people in India, as you remember, there's those India pastors. They're on our mission board out there. There's a bunch of them. There were 20, used to be 29. I think there's 26. I know, I know. At least two or three have died. And, and they live in southern India, and they have freedom there. But they told me that if they went just a certain point north and proclaimed Jesus Christ, they would be killed, or they would be attempted to be killed. Okay, we don't live in that part of the world yet. But let me tell you, when, when you stand for Jesus Christ, somebody will say, you're stupid. 
you're ignorant. I thought you were educated. How could anybody believe something like that? What's the matter? Don't you know anything? You're just one of those religious fanatics. When you stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, you can expect persecution. And let me tell you something that is so good. We'll see it, and I'm going to go real fast, but we're going to see it, that there's blessings when you stand for Christ in a fallen world. Matthew 5.11, blessed, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, Jesus said, if they go after you and they're persecuting you because you're standing for Jesus Christ, just rejoice. Just realize that God has a reward for you. Look at this. We will be blessed when we stand for Christ. I'm going to go more about rewards in just a minute. But I want you to understand that God is working all things, even the persecutions. We mentioned it in Sunday school when we talked about temptation. You know, when Joseph was thrown, you know, taken off as a slave and ends up finally as the number two man in Egypt, when his brothers came, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God takes bad things and uses them for good. Paul said he was proud of these believers because they stood strong in the persecution. What are we to do in the persecution? What, what do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when somebody makes fun of you because of your faith? Now, most of the college kids are gone. They're on a mission trip. But let me tell you, we've talked about this before. When they go on that campus... And if they were to stand up in a classroom and say they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to go to the heaven except through Jesus, and he's the Savior, and he's the only God, they'll be attacked immediately. And some of you, where you work, some of you in your neighborhood, some of the places where you go, if you were to stand, if you stand and say, I believe the Bible is God's word, I believe Jesus is the Savior, I believe that salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone, you will be attacked even in this community. So just expect it. Just expect it. Standing strong for Christ now will be rewarded later. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Great, your reward in heaven is great. Now look at verse 5 because this is what he says. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered, you believers who are standing strong, you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. More than the kingdom of God means you're going to be rewarded in the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. You're going to be rewarded. Look at this verse. You're going to love this verse, James 1, 12. Blessed, that's us, is the man who perseveres under the trials, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. When you stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, which is what's happening to the Thessalonians, which may happen to us someday. When you stand strong for Jesus Christ, you will be rewarded. You know, we've seen this many times, but here we are now. Jesus died and rose again, sent into heaven. We're in the church age. The next event's the rapture. Many believe this, that when the moment that we're taken off the face of the earth, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body. That means if you stood strong for Christ, when you stand before him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Some people, and there's just some thoughts about this, that when Jesus comes the second time and sets up the kingdom, uh, we talked about it in the book of Daniel, in that 45-day time period that nobody knows what it means, some people think that's when we get rewarded. It doesn't matter when it is, you're going to be rewarded for your stand for Jesus Christ. 
That's the key. So when believers stand strong in persecution, they will be rewarded by God in the kingdom. Wow. So Paul encourages these believers to keep standing strong in the persecution, knowing that one day God's righteous judgment will come and they will be rewarded and have worthy to rule in the kingdom of God. So they were growing in their faith. They were growing in their love. They were trusting God in the trials and the afflictions. They were living for God, knowing one day they would be rewarded. And let me ask you this. Are we growing in our faith? Are we growing in our love? Are we looking forward to standing before Jesus Christ to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So what a great church. What a start. Paul writes to them. He encourages these believers to keep growing and, and, and to tell them that you're staying for Christ in the midst of persecution. One day you'll be rewarded. So let me give you this. Let's think about this. First of all, let's continue to grow in our faith and in our love. Let's continue to grow in our faith and our love. How do we do it? Well, to grow in our faith, we've got to study the Bible. You've got to know it. And let's just be honest. If you're going to know, if you're going to be able to grow in your faith, you're going to have to know more, right? You're going to have to know it so you can apply it, so you've got to dig the Word of God. I talked about this in Sunday school uh, in our grow groups. We have classes when the fall starts. We have classes every semester that are for you to help you grow. We've got a 412. We've got the 22. I'm going to do one on angels and demons. We've got discipline for godliness. We've got a number of courses offered every semester, four or five every semester, that you can take and that can get deeper so you can grow. And not a large percentage of you take those classes. You should take those classes. So why don't you plan this fall, Wednesday nights, 630, to sign up for one of those classes so you can know more, you can get it, you can grow, and you can grow as you study God's word so you can grow in your faith. The second aspect is we got to seek to love one another. we got to grow in our love for one another. Think about who in this body, somebody you see all the time, who can you love? Who can you show love to by your actions? Second, let's stand strong in the persecution. Now, we're, we're okay. I mean, they make fun of us. Uh, they can make fun of us on TV. They can make fun of, us, fun of us in all kind of ways. But they're not trying to kill us yet. Other parts of the world, they are. But let's stand strong now. Stand strong now for Jesus Christ wherever you go. Let's stand strong. And third, let's seek to be rewarded by Jesus in the kingdom. We want to hear him say what? What do we want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. May God reward us. May we stand before him and he say, you did it. You stood strong. You lived for me in a fallen world. As Paul writes to these people and he says, your love is growing. He said, I'm so thankful for you. Your love is growing. Your faith is growing. You're standing strong in the midst of persecution. And one day God will reward 